I'm back in Psalm 119, a few verses after the one that I read earlier to you about God's extraordinary word. This is one of my favorite verses within this chapter in all of Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 161, that I refer to over and over again in my conversations with people. It says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. That is why when we gather here, our worship is is focused on adoring and glorying in God and then to glory in Him by hearing His Word. That His Word might change us and that we might worship in that. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord this morning. Father, we are such a blessed people to have Your Word. Father, give us ears to hear. We know that within your word there are people who don't hear. The word can be made plain and still they will not hear because their ears are stopped up. Perhaps with sin, perhaps with rebellious hearts. Oh God, we do not want your word to fall on the floor today. Oh God, guard my lips today that your word would be honored and that we would be changed, and that you would be well pleased. Guard us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a a quick side uh, before I get into Genesis 18. What a blessing here. This morning, Corbin felt terrible. He felt terrible. And I could have hacked through the hymns on my guitar, but he decided to muscle in, he walked in, played the piano, and he's going to go back and curl up in the fetal position uh, to serve his Lord this morning. What what an honor uh, for us. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought, kids do, little kids do, they eat an apple and there's the seed and they think, oh, you know, I'm going to grow an apple tree, and they stick it in the dirt. And little did I know what is required to grow an apple tree. We're not trying. Uh, no, it wouldn't happen. Eight to ten years before you're going to get an apple. And oh, by the way, to sprout the seeds, you need cold weather. So if you want to take those seeds and put them in a napkin and moisten the napkin and put them in your refrigerator for like six weeks, maybe they'll start to sprout at that point. But you got to keep it moist. And after that, you can plant it, but then you got to keep it watered. And then it's going to sprout. You go, oh, that's great. And you tend to it. It's growing in your Dixie cup or whatever. Well, pretty soon it's going to get higher and you're going to have to transplant it into a bigger pot. But you're still probably not going to get good apples unless you take a twig from another apple tree called a cyan and cut it just right and cut a branch off of your apple tree and graft it in and wrap it up. Okay? And then maybe the juices from your apple tree will start to grow in the other one and it'll finally start to sprout some fresh leaves off this cyan. You go, okay, things are going pretty good. Well, there comes a point where you're going to have to put it in the ground. Okay? 
Now you, you plant it in the ground and you got to make sure there's no weeds all around it. And oh, by the way, did you know that your apple tree will not pollinate your apple tree? You got to have another apple tree to pollinate that apple tree because you can't self-pollinate an apple tree. Is it a wonder we ever have apples? I think I'll just go to United and buy a bag. But praise God that there are men who have labored to bring about apple trees. We're not willing to invest the 10 years, but some are. You wonder if it's ever going to happen. Well, three weeks ago, I started a sermon series on Isaac, and we haven't seen Isaac yet. He hadn't even been born. Did two sermons on him, then did one on the sanctity of life last week. Today, we're finally, finally going to get to the birth of Isaac. But then we're going to put it on hold uh, because Jeremy is going to start preaching again next Sunday, picking up in his sermon series through Luke. And so we will continue through Luke. We will continue the sermon series in Isaac throughout the year at the times where I will fill the pulpit. But today, as we finally look toward the birth of Isaac, um, I want us to see that there are great blessings and great problems that come at exactly the same time. It's important for us as believers to understand really a very simple truth. And it's, it, is, it is this, it's really the title of the sermon, that God's blessings will be found in the midst of his blessings, but they will also be found in the midst of travail, in the midst of heartache. Um, start out the service with the truth that God is not slow as some count slow, slowness from Second Peter chapter 3. And, and we see that fleshed out in the birth of Isaac. I mean, how long has it been for, for Abraham before he finally had a son? We, we are, we're a Burger King culture. I want it now. I want to have it my way now. Fast. But God, God's way is oftentimes not our way. Sometimes God does things slowly. When It's a Wonderful Life hit the movie theater, it, was, it, it bombed. Got one Academy Award for snow. That's it. And then it kind of was forgotten. Until one year in the 70s, the clerk forgot to renew the copyright license. For it's a Wonderful Life. And it slipped into public domain. And so for Space Filler, they kept showing it on TV over and over again in the 70s. Especially around Christmas time. And It's a Wonderful Life became a classic 30 years after it was released. Who'd have thunk? God's timing is often like that. I mean, think about where Abraham was. He was in Ur of the Chaldees when God called him. And he left his family. And he left his friends. He followed after God's promise to him. But that promise depended on an heir. You can't have nations without people. 
So he had to have a son. Abraham had no son. He had to trust God wholly. Well, he gets to the promised land and nothing happened. Day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, no kid. But God reiterates his promise in Genesis chapter 15. We read that. Abraham goes, well, what about my servant Eliezer? And God said, uh-uh, look at the stars of the heaven. Okay, that's, that's what your offspring will be like. Trust me in this. And so God says, trust me in this. And that leads to the mistrust of Genesis 16, where Sarah is finally going, I'm not having any kids. Here's Hagar, my handmaid. And Abraham decides to bow to his libido instead of bowing to the Lord and takes Hagar to be his wife also. She conceives a son and conflict arises and Ishmael is born. But within that story, we see another staggering biblical truth. An extraordinary glimpse of the God that we serve. No matter how badly we mess up, we cannot mess up God's divine plan. No no matter how badly we mess up, we cannot mess up God's divine plan. He is not surprised. He is not flustered and from the ashes of my disaster God can raise up beauty and wonders in his purpose and his plan that I never could have imagined and it is in this disaster of Genesis chapter 16 that we see two names of God come out from the lips of the Egyptian servant one of them is Ishmael. Her son is named God Hears. Ishmael means God Hears. This is how Hagar knew this God. And when she was weak and in the desert, she saw a well. And she called it Be'er Lahai Roy. God, the well of the God who sees. God sees. If you ever hear somebody named Elroy, his boy Elroy, Jane, his wife, Jetsons, Elroy means God sees. Elroy, God sees. God reiterated his plan and purpose and covenant in Genesis 17, Abraham's 99 years old, gives new names to Abraham and to Sarah. And Abraham's concerned about Ishmael. We talked about this. His great love. But God has a great love for Abraham and for Ishmael as well. I had you turn to Genesis 18. We're going to spend most of our time in Genesis 21. But I want you to see God's words about his servant Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 19. He says, I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord.
by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. I have chosen him. God has a great affection for Abraham. Well, in reiterating the promise in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham laughs at the absurdity. In Genesis chapter 18, Sarah laughs because she goes, I'm 90 years old, like I'm hardly a vessel to bear a child anymore. Really, both of them laugh from disbelief. And notice God does not condemn them. God never condemned them for their... (laughs) Yeah, right, God. I'm 100 years old, like I'm going to have a child... God never condemns them. He knows that they are but dust. He knows that on this plane under the sun, it's an absurd promise. It's a promise only he can fulfill. And yet Abraham is willing to follow. You see that in verse 19 of chapter 18 that I just read. And so finally, drum roll, chapter 21 Just as God says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. God. You know, we we might think, oh, the focus here is Isaac. No, the focus here is God. What has God done? He did what he said he would. He followed through with his promise just like he said. This is a very... Just the facts, ma'am, kind of narrative, much like much of scripture is. You don't get the details. It's, it just is. What did God do? He visited Sarah as he said. He said he would. And he did. When did he say it? He implied it 25 years before that. 25. Some of you aren't even 25 yet. A lot of you aren't even 25 yet. 25 years. For some of us, think back 25 years. Yeah, I'm going to do something for you and it doesn't happen for 25 years. You'd think, surely I'd forgotten. But God doesn't forget. He visits Sarah as he said. He did to Sarah. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. I mean, what a, what a great anchor point for us as believers. God will do as he promises. What proof do I have? Here. He's done it before. God told Abraham one year before in chapter 18 that at this time, next year, Sarah will bear a son. And scripture tells us in 
verse 2, that Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. Now notice, really before a year prior, Abraham never really got a, 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 a time frame for that promise. And what time frames do we have? When will Christ come again? What's the date and the hour? I don't know. Will he? Yes. He said he would. Just as he ascended, so will he return. Why? Because he promised. He will. You know, don't miss too that Sarah conceived and bore a son. Don't, don't think that Sarah's conception was some Virgin Mary kind of thing. The natural relationship between Abraham and Sarah continued on there. And the conception, though completely unexpected, again on this plane, happens by God's good hand. And so they continue in obedience and affection toward one another, but they continue in obedience in the midst of God's blessing. So they offer, or God brings them a son. Abraham, what's he do? He calls the name of his son who was born to him and who Sarah bore him, Isaac. They named him Isaac in obedience to God's command. And what else did they do? They circumcised him on the eighth day. Circumcised his son, verse 4. When he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. In chapter 17, verses 9 to 14, this covenant is given to Abraham and to his household. And so in accordance with this covenant, Abraham follows God in obedience by circumcising the son of his covenant. When Abraham was a hundred years old, when his son Isaac was born to him. And laughter immediately fills the house. Who would have dreamed? Verse 6. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she doesn't mean that negatively. They will laugh in, oh, this is unbelievable. This is beautiful. This is amazing. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Oh, the joy. Oh, the delight. Do God's lavish gifts to you bring you joy and delight? Do they bring you delight in that our God would do such things for us? That he would give me a wife as he has given me? That he has given me children that he has given me? That he has given me fellowship as he has given me? That he has given me work? Do those gifts turn my heart to the God who has given me those gifts? And is my heart so enwrapped by him 
that even if this gift is no more, even if God sees fit to take this thing from me, will I still find joy and thanksgiving in Him? Or do these gifts take such a place in my life that if they are no more, their absence or their being is replaced with bitterness because they are no more? This test will come upon Abraham the next time we turn to the life of Isaac. I hope, saint, that the great joys we receive from God in the things that He provides us would fill us with a joy for Him and not the things. You know, that we would hold on loosely to the things that He has given us because we are mere stewards of those gifts at this time to these good and wonderful gifts. Because, and this takes us really to the second main point of the sermon, is that there will be problems in this world. In this plane in which we live, in this fallen world, even in, in the midst of the good things that God has given us, there will be grief. But we must understand that God's blessing will come even in the midst of travail. We'll pick up in verse 8, reading verses 8 and 9. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Okay, Isaac is weaned, typically two to three years old which would make Ishmael 15, 16 years old. Okay? There's a big party for the weaning. He's a toddler now. And Ishmael laughs. And we go, Yasol. We would think, no big thing. I mean, who hasn't laughed at a toddler? They're a bundle of laughter. As they race through the house. But apparently from the sense here, Sarah takes offense at the laughter. So there must be some kind of a negative twist in how Ishmael is laughing at his half-brother here. Notice the thread of laughter in this. Laughter that that God would do the absurd in the first place. Laughter that God would use such a broken vessel as myself. Laughter at the ridiculous kindness of God to me. Laughter now, perhaps in mockery at the very work of God. And we see spring up in Sarah a heart of jealousy, a heart of bitterness. 
Verse 10, Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Where'd that come from? This conflict has been ever since Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham. And Hagar conceived. Boom! Hagar conceives and she starts strutting through the camp because she can bear a child. Sarah couldn't. And so conflict immediately, posturing, positioning. Hagar had contempt for Sarah, so Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar and sent her away. But it is in that season, I've already alluded to, that God showed himself strong to Hagar. And God sent Hagar back in humility to make peace. I mean, before that time, we get no inclination that Hagar was anything but a faithful servant to Sarah. But from this time forth, you see nothing but enmity between these women. Never resolved. And this is going on now for 15 years. Sarah wants them gone. The son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. The ugliness of parental pride. There will be no rival for my child. I mean, we mock the soccer mom and the football dad. As they send their child to camp after camp after camp. Because my kid is going to. We see it on the athletic field. We see it in the arts. We see it in academics. And, and Saint, the ugliness of parental pride is a, is a sure sign for us. That this gift of God has taken the place of God in our life, in our hearts, and in our minds. Oftentimes, the child will even supplant the spouse in importance. And Abraham's heart is broken. I mean, we've, we've spoken of this. Ishmael was his son. He was, Ishmael was his sole son. Ishmael is the son of relationship that he has. 13 years, 14 years, 15 years now. His boy that he taught to whatever they taught boys to do back then. But Sarah apparently had never taken to the boy. And so Abraham was grieved. Verse 11, the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. God has a plan. Even in the midst of disaster, 
And here we're going to see God's got a a kind of a two-step plan. He's got a near-term plan for this situation. And it's a long-term plan because it extends into Galatians that we read earlier. First, let's take a look at the near-term plan. God takes Abraham aside like a friend. God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Saint, never, never think, never believe that God is not involved just because life got messy. Don't think God checked out. Don't think even that you're far from him. Because sometimes we think, oh, you know, God's just letting me into this disaster because I've been rebellious. No, God's still there. And God is still doing his good work in ways that you may not see. And God tells Abraham to hear your wife. Listen to your wife. Now, this is not descriptive of how the marriage relationship should work. That the wife should well up in, as a bitter shrew and that the husband should bow and capitulate. Okay, this is, this is not how the marriage relationship should work. It should continue in communication uh, and the like. But even in the midst of this disaster, God says, yes, let's do this thing. Do this thing. I want you to hear your wife. Understand the blessing will be through Isaac. So she is initiating a thing that on the outside isn't really good. But God says in this is a good thing because the blessing will be through Isaac. He says that in verse 12b. This is so important what Sarah says here, again, that it becomes scripture here and in the New Testament reiterated within the gospel of Jesus Christ. So important is God's statement to Abraham that Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 9 also. When he says that it is through Isaac, as he's talking about God's election, God's sovereign purpose and choice. It is through Isaac that your offspring shall be named. It's reiterated also in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. God will do what God will do. And we can bow down to that and worship or we can curse it. But he also said, God's not heartless. God said, hear your wife. And I will still, even though this rift is happening, I will still care for Ishmael. You know, we might get nodded over the injustice of it all, but God has a plan even for the other side. It's not like God's just working with you and not the other people. He works with both. God's grace extends to places and people You may never imagine. And I want you to notice 
verse 13. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. What a heart of love God has for Abraham. What a tender heart of love that God has. Abraham's ripped up inside. I mean, he's, he doesn't know if he's ever going to see his son or Hagar again if he sends them out in a way. But God says, it's okay. I've got them. Why do I have them? Because of you. Because I love you. I will care for them. And I will lavish it upon his son. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. It sounds like they put the child on her shoulder and the water and the food. You go, well, if he's 16 years old, not putting the 16-year-old on her shoulder. So the, the sense, if, if you read it, she's toting some of it and Ishmael's toting some of it as well. The word child there can mean a toddler, can also mean a young man. Daniel and his friends are also referred to with the same word here. And they split. And now the, the scene will turn, we're going to turn from Isaac just to see God's hand of blessing in the travail here. All seems lost. Soon the water and the skins were gone. And so she puts the child under one of the bushes. Okay, don't imagine again that this woman is hefting around her 16-year-old son. Imagine him being exhausted, spent, the water's gone. Um... Perhaps he's ailing, I don't know. But he's, he's, he has very little life left in him. So night draws near and for shelter under a bush, she puts him. Here, son, lie here. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child and as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. What has your life been, O oh slave woman? Why was she sold as a slave in the beginning? What a mess of her life that she is a slave. Oh, but what a blessing that she came upon this family of Abraham and Sarah. Oh, and she gets to bear a son. Oh, and she has a son. Oh, but she's hated by her mistress. Oh, everything that's good turns bad for this woman. What love did she ever get from Abraham? Be gone now says her mistress. So I've got some bread and a sack of water and pretty soon it's gone and here we are to die. Nothing goes right. Nothing goes right in my family. 
How many jobs have I been through? Nothing goes right at my work. My friends leave me. My stuff breaks. My dreams turn to ash. Ishmael. God hears. Elroy. God sees. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. She's a slave woman. And he calls her by name. He called her by name. What troubles you, Hagar? I will do as I have said. God had already promised that he would make Ishmael a king of 12 princes. In Genesis 17, verse 20. And God is reminding her that I will fulfill my promise with your son also. And so as you left with water, the water of man and the water of man ran out. God provides her water as well. Verse 19, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from her land, from the land of Egypt. God's great provision. God's got a plan here even in the short term. God's also got a plan in the long term because we see this come to life in Galatians chapter 4. You can flip there. This will be brief. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac and Ishmael. Hagar and Sarah. It would seem that this story really, other than some principles, has little weight for us today. But we read about an allegory between faith and works, between the freedom that we have in Christ and the slavery and condemnation that is found in and under the law. Hagar, the slave woman, represents slavery. She always was a slave. Ishmael comes about through the works of man, by forcing God's hand, by conniving. We see in Ishmael the works of the flesh. How can I be made right with God? You can't. It leads to disaster and a mess. 
Sarah ever and always is the wife of promise. Verse 26 of Galatians 4. The Jerusalem above is free and she, Sarah, is your mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of the promise. How do you come to God? By works or by faith? Are you a slave that you must serve God in cowering obedience? Or are you a child of the king where you can run to God in the joy and freedom of a child? We are Isaac. The son of a slave merely does the bidding of his master. It is his duty. And from my duty, I expect my due and my payment as well. The relationship is not a thing. But for the son, the relationship is everything. As the son, I know that all that is the father's is mine. I live in his house. It's all mine. The child, the son, obeys not out of duty, but out of love. The relationship is the thing. Is it any wonder that the slave would persecute the free? Oh, you have it so easy. Well, this grace, grace, that's nothing. You have to work hard. I scoff at your grace. Oh, no. Paul quotes Sarah. What does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. That ugly shrew-like comment becomes our hope in Christ. Spurgeon said, Do not go about the service of God as slaves to their taskmaster's toil, but run in the way of his commands because it is your father's way. Yield your body as instruments of righteousness because righteousness is your father's will. And his will should be the will of his child. It's taken time for us to get here to the birth of Isaac. It's going to take time for us to look ultimately at his sacrifice about the time he becomes the age that Ishmael is right now as we leave the story. But God's purpose and plan unfolds in time. I pray, Saint, that we would wait upon the Lord whether we are in the midst of a time of blessing or whether we are in the midst of a time of of travail. Will we look for God's blessing on us in both situations? Or will we play the part of a slave and demand our due? When our slightest obedience expects a payment, like we had just won the Super Bowl. 
Does our heart expect greater wealth, greater recognition, greater comfort because we are Christian? Do we despair over what we will eat, what we will wear, or where we will live? Perhaps the boss won't tend to our needs. Do we petition God with the cold, matter-of-fact manner of a worker asking a foreman for a tool? Saint, let us live as adopted children of the King that we are and hold fast to His bosom as to a father. Let's do whatever He asks us to do. Because why? Because we love Him and because we trust Him. Let us... Let us savor and enjoy the magic and the wonder of this world that he has provided for us. Let us not fret about our food and our provision, for we know that our Father loves us, and he knows that we have need of these things. Let us go to our Father with crazy requests and expect that he will give his child the good things that his children need. In the birth of Isaac, we see God's good blessing within his blessing and within travail. May he give us eyes to see this. If if Monday's a mess, uh, if if Tuesday's a train wreck, or if, if Wednesday's wonderful, in all of these situations, God is in them all. Let's pray. Oh God. If there be any here today who does not know you as father, but merely knows you as master, or perhaps doesn't know you at all, is bound in the slavery of themselves, God, that you would break the shackles of slavery today. Let today be the day of salvation and redemption. Give them a new heart that they might call upon you as Abba, Father. For the saint, Lord, that we would be stirred to delight in you, to seek you even in the midst of of the good things and the hardships of life, to trust that even in our travails, you are there and you are working. God, be with us as we go from this place. Use us for the redemption of Wichita Falls and our surrounding area. Use us in any way you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.